0: everybody. Happy holiday weekend. I don't know what space you're in as you came in, but I'm in a holiday weekend kind of space and I'm just letting you know that because I might diverge from here and I might ask participation from you. Just prepare yourselves. Alright, so here's your first opportunity to not participate. I don't want to know this, but you can talk about this over lunch. So in your life, in your life essence, um, When you are approached with an opportunity or a question or something is in front of you, what is your tendency? Is your tendency to put up a hand and say no to everything just kind of universally, just be no, not interested, keeping things away? Or is your tendency more of an open yes, I will say yes to most things that come my way? Do you know that? You can talk about that at lunch. Um, I have maybe in particular trained myself. To say yes to things, and uh, some of you know this because it's frustrating at times, when you ask me a question and I will say, yes, we can look into that. And it's yes is the answer, but I'm not saying yes, we will do that, or I want to do that, but we can look into that, or, you know, so um, I've trained myself to be yes in that way. Well, we are in this series, um, Five Words to Change Your Life, and I'm starting with yes. And then we're going to do, wow, help, um, thanks, and sorry. Those are coming up in weeks ahead. But in considering our yes this morning, I want you to begin thinking about what are you saying yes to? And as a result, what are you saying no to? And more important for our conversation this morning, how does being a follower of God in the way of Jesus help define your yes Well, maybe you've read Danny Wallace's book, Yes Man, One Little Word Can Change Your Life. Back in 2005, that came out. And shortly after, of course, there's a movie, Yes Man, with Jim Carrey, came out um, about that idea, at least. And you may be familiar with that. But this guy, Danny Wallace, he was in a particular down and out spot in life, and he was on the bus, and someone offhandedly said to him, you need to say yes more. And so he made this commitment to saying yes to everything that would come his way. So that's the premise of his book, and it's a comedy book, so it's funny and inspiring. But it also is processing what it means to say yes to everything and to have that openness and how that changed his life in particular. But as funny as that movie is and that book is, um, and as important as it is to have a positive mental attitude, and perhaps you do need to take a yes challenge and go out and try to Say yes to everything that comes your way. But but as important as that is, um, I do want to say that we want to talk about yes in a different way than this today. And in particular, I want to point out for Danny Wallace and for Jim Carrey in the movie um, that when Danny Wallace, somebody said, You need to say yes more, the problem being addressed was that he was saying no. He lived in a world of opportunity. And it was his problem that he was saying no to everything around him. Now, that's different maybe than some of other people's experience where they don't have a world of opportunity. They're not swimming through opportunity, just so many things to say yes to. And so there's a cultural context that makes that yes um, work. So um, actually, there's a comment made on Amazon book review for um, Danny Wallace's book. And I thought I appreciated this. She said... I'm a smallish town, female, U.S. baby boomer, and much of the book just didn't speak to me. And I think the essence for that woman was that she's saying, I'm not living in a context where there's so many things coming at me that I'm saying no all the time. I just There's not a lot of yes to be said to change my life. So it's important to identify that context that we live in um, in order to say Yes. Now, if I can shift gears in a much more dramatic way, um, consider this. Over the past couple of decades, there's been a slogan of choice used to um, bring awareness and prevention of something. It's a cause um, in our world. And I'm curious if you are familiar with this slogan and if you know what the slogan is connected to, what cause it is. So I'm going to say the, the slogan and I want you to use your mouth and your voice to shout out what is the cause um, that this is related to. You ready? Yes would be a good start. Yeah. Yes. Ah, oh, so good. So you, you guys are like yes people. Trying, trying here. Okay, so ready? Yes. No means no. No means no. What's the cause? Yes, sexual abuse, these kinds of things. It's good that you don't necessarily know because that slogan was started like 20 years ago, but then it's changed. They shifted it, and here's why. And this is kind of fascinating, thinking about your yes and your no. So no means no was this, on college campuses in particular, this effort to prevent and to bring awareness to um, sexual abuse. And so what was interesting is perhaps, you know, in the 60s, you know, we got sexual freedom and we started moving in sexual freedom toward this place where we needed to say no means no. And here's why. On college campuses, they're working out the definitions of consent and they're working out what it means to constitute sexual abuse. And so their policies were being developed and worked out. But what happened was that this no means no reflected the victim's responsibility to say no. Here's what's interesting. So the norm was that everybody thought sexual freedom, yes, is the answer. Yes is the expected norm when it comes to sexual intimacy between college students. Yes. And so if you do not want to participate, you have to make your no known. And so what becomes the norm is that you have to fight back as the standard way to say no. Isn't this interesting? So this is kind of developing, and they're like, ah, that's maybe not very good that we have this no means no, because it's putting the responsibility on the victim or the accuser um, to defend and to prove and the burden of proof on them. So they tried to shift this away in college campuses, and the slogan shifted as well. So the burden of proof wouldn't be on the victim, but move it over to the accuser. And the slogan changed to yes means yes. Not a big change, but significant in what happened because now the standard becomes affirmative consent. So in this way, you know, the expectation, the norm is that sex is off limits, that there's boundaries. And if you're going to cross these boundaries, there has to be consent all along the way. And so yes means yes. And in that, that yes became so much more important and stronger. Do you see how that kind of is an odd approach to that issue? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Feels so good to hear that. Um, i just cue you up. There's opportunity later to say things like amen. Just, just be ready. All right. I'm going to shift gears away from. Uh, sexual abuse on college campuses but I want you to keep that same train of thought and to think about what kind of follower of Jesus are you and maybe you're sitting here thinking "Ah, I am not a follower of Jesus you know I'm interested in the guy I think he did good things but I'm not a follower or maybe you're sitting here thinking I have followed Jesus my whole life my parents dedicated me and I've just rolled on along ever since so what kind of follower of Jesus are you So think about this. Where's the burden of proof lie with you following Jesus? So are you a follower of Christ because you never said no along the way? You never resisted Christianity, and you're just kind of going along with the flow. So, you're a Christian because you've never said no. Or, are you a follower of Christ because you made an affirmative yes to Jesus? And you continue saying yes each day over and over and continuing in, continuing in that pursuit of Jesus to say yes. Those are two very different angles, right? You've never said no, or you've said yes. Let's look more at the implications of saying yes to Jesus this morning. Jesus, you remember him living 2,000 years ago? Jesus was crucified by the Roman Empire. Pontius Pilate seemed to be interested in Jesus, but in the end, Pontius Pilate was more interested in maintaining the norm, maintaining peace and order and not having any uprisings happen that disrupt the norm. Jesus was killed, crucified. Then, shortly after that, 10 of Jesus' 12 disciples were also killed by the Roman Empire for similar reasons of the threat to the norm the threat of they were bringing the kingdom of God in, and that was going against the norm of the Roman Empire. So here you are. Imagine the first 300 years of the church that followers of Christ, everybody who said yes to Jesus, everybody who would say yes to Jesus, was now against some things in the Roman Empire. So those those followers of Christ gathered and worshiped, they lived their lives of faith. They practiced their faith. But they did that all with the present threat of death. Maybe they'd be burned at the stake. Maybe they'd be thrown into the gladiator ring. But that was the threat. So think about what their yes meant. When someone learns about Jesus, is introduced to the community followers of God in the way of Jesus, and they want to say yes to Jesus, what does their yes mean? Their yes had a great weight. There was a cost. For them to say yes meant that they could die. That was significant. That was serious. And Jesus knew that his way was difficult. He knew that this kingdom of heaven being lived inside the Roman Empire was difficult. One time Jesus even said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In preparation for thinking about yes and Jesus, um, I skim read through the four Gospels to see if Jesus was a yes man, just to see. Did Jesus actually begin the yes man conference circuit? And while Jesus did say yes a lot of the times, I think it's very interesting that so many people would come up to Jesus with their requests, asking him to be healed, asking him a question, for him to answer, or at testing him and wanting a response, or asking him to do something for them. So many people are coming to Jesus, and that's what the story is and how it's recorded. But two things caught my attention. As I surveyed these gospel stories about Jesus, first, I kind of saw that Jesus did not say yes to everyone and everything. And it's, it's interesting, you know, we get these stories that he does heal, he does do these things. But just imagine all the people in Israel, and Jesus did not heal every single person that came his way. He didn't fix every problem that was happening. And in fact, you think about Jesus, he only did that in very small, localized Israel. Think about the whole rest of the world. He didn't say yes to fixing all the problems of the world. And that's kind of encouraging that if Jesus didn't make it his mission to just solve every problem, heal every person then we also are not called to solve every problem and get involved in everything. You know, the yes stories that we see in the scriptures are these stories where, you know, a guy's on the side of the road and he yells out to get Jesus' attention. Jesus goes over and heals him. And that one story gets recorded in the history book. But there's all kinds of people that didn't get healed. And so we got to realize that that one story had a bigger story message behind it. It was showing us something about Jesus, showing us something about the kingdom of God. So, it's encouraging me that I don't have to say yes to everything. As fun as that is in the movie, we simply do not have capacity to say yes and meet every need that we encounter. But neither is that an excuse to not say yes when you can. All right, well, the second thing that I noticed and caught my attention which was very surprising, is this word indignant. Indignant. As I was skimming through, it just started popping out all over the place. In the NIV translation that I was reading, indignant was all over the place. And it is used in these stories of Jesus, people coming to Jesus with their request and Jesus responding. So this morning, I want to quick take a survey through some of these stories to see how indignant and yes go together. All right, let's dive in. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It says, A man with leprosy came to him, Jesus, and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Here it is. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Ooh, Jesus was indignant. Is that like your top thought when you think about Jesus? Indignant? Actually, some translations of the Bible use the word compassion. Jesus had compassion. And actually, there's a textual variant in the earliest manuscripts where people actually said, we cannot handle the idea of Jesus being indignant. We are going to change it to compassion. So I think indignant is the accurate way to read this. But it's not Jesus indignant at the man for asking him to heal him. And it's not just compassion for the man himself. There's something much bigger that Jesus is thinking about here. You know, Jesus was indignant about something larger. Jesus was angry at the unfair treatment of this man with leprosy and everyone who had leprosy. Jesus was indignant at the system that was in place around leprosy. Now, leprosy was a disease, and it could be transmitted. And back then, when you had leprosy and you were a leper, you had to dress yourself and make yourself look absolutely terrible and disgusting so that people would know to stay away from you. I mean, what an awful system that is, just creating separation, So here's this person who has the physical leprosy and the suffering of that, but also is separated in society and has the suffering of being separated from family and friends and job and community. So Jesus was not angry at the man for asking him to heal them. Jesus was angry at this social system that was in stark contrast to the way that the kingdom of heaven is. You know, this man's life was filled with no. The the amount of yes that that man needed to say to overcome the amount of no was impossible. You know, think about it. He can't say yes and solve his life or change his life because he's a leper. All that man heard was no, no, no. Separate, separate, keep away, keep away. And here's Jesus. And Jesus touched the man something you would not do in that system. Jesus breaks through the system. He touches the man. Jesus says yes to the man, and he heals him. Jumping in Mark to Mark chapter 10. Now we're going to stay in Mark chapter 10 the rest of the time. This is where it's very interesting because indignant just pops up all over the place in Mark chapter 10. Next story. Next indignant People were bringing little children to Jesus. How awful. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw that this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Here again, Jesus is indignant. He's angry. I don't think he's angry at the disciples. He's angry at the unfair treatment of children, that in the system of Rome, children were on the lowest level. They didn't have any dignity or worth. Jesus is angry at that. I think maybe the disciples might have been a little bit shocked initially (laughs) that Jesus you know, rebuking them, because I think the disciples thought, oh, yeah, we're doing our job as disciples to protect the teacher, you know, to make sure that the teacher has only the most important things to do and doesn't get bothered by any little things. I mean, that's probably what the disciples were thinking. But Jesus cuts through He says, no, that's not the way it is with us. That's not the way it is in the kingdom of heaven. Here again, Jesus is saying, yes. To these children who are at the bottom of the system. And that word indignant sets us off to this thing that's happening that the kingdom of heaven is bumping into the way things are on earth. Jesus is angry about that system, how the children are abused and neglected and their low status. And again, like the leper, what could these children say yes to that would change their life? Nothing. They had no opportunity. There was nothing they could do to say yes and make a difference in their life. But Jesus, once again, reaches out, brings them onto his lap, blesses them, takes them in, and he explains, this is the way the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven values and cherishes people and cherishes children. So if you are going to be a part of my kingdom of heaven, you need to... Also, reach out to love these kids. All right, two indignants. How about this one? Next one, Mark 10 35 through 45. Here, Jesus' own disciples get their opportunity to come and ask Jesus something. And that's just interesting, isn't it? As you skim read through the Gospels, it's just everybody is asking Jesus, asking, wanting, needing, just everybody is on him all the time. Well, here are the disciples, it's their opportunity. It says then James and John the sons of Zebedee came to him teacher they said we want you to do for us whatever we ask that's pretty audacious i mean that, i mean that's like my kids asking me now i want you to say yes and then i'll answer the question ask you the question but here they are and they jesus being nice jesus says what do you want me to do for you and they replied Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. (laughs) Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And perhaps naively they say, we can. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Isn't it interesting here, this opportunity for indignant to pop up again? And it's the disciples who are indignant this time. Indignant that James and John would have the audacity to ask Jesus to sit at his right and his left. Or maybe they were indignant because James and John asked first and beat them to the opportunity. Well, here's another opportunity for Jesus to teach about the kingdom of heaven. There's something in that indignant that tips us off that Jesus is going to explain something about the kingdom of heaven that's in contrast to the way it works on earth. So Jesus explains how the power system works Works on earth. You know, this person lords it over that person. But in the kingdom of heaven, greatness comes not by lording it over or exercising authority, but greatness comes through being a servant. And Jesus' own example is that he would give his life as a ransom for many, serving. It's interesting, isn't it? The disciples are looking for power in the ways of Rome and the ways of the world. But Jesus redirects them and says, "Hey, not so with you. There's something different about the kingdom of heaven and how you will act as a citizen of heaven." And I appreciate their somewhat naive, "We can drink the cup you're drinking." That's kind of nice there, but you can just imagine one week later because they are about to enter Jerusalem and they're with Jesus to see him arrested, to see him crucified buried, and see him rise again. And their yes, we can became a total confident, yes, we can. We want to participate with you, Jesus, in your suffering. We want to be your citizens of heaven. All right, last story, which this one is interesting, because this story is mixed in with all these places where indignant pops up, but there's no indignant So I want you to think about where should indignant or where could indignant have been placed in this story. So Mark 10, 17 through 23 says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not Steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, teacher, he declared, All these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this the man's face. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Where would you have stuck indignant into that story? I think it's interesting that Jesus looks at the man and loved him. That could have been a spot where Jesus looked at the man and was indignant about wealth and the system and the thing that was preventing that man from following Jesus and moving toward the kingdom of heaven. But instead, there's a place of compassion where Jesus looked at the man and loved him. Wealth was getting in the way for that man because he couldn't say no to the wealth and yes to Jesus in that moment. Standing outside just now talking to somebody, I hope for this man that we get the Paul Harvey rest of the story in heaven, that that guy went away, thought about it for a moment, and was like, yes, Jesus, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to follow you. I hope that's how the story plays out. But here again, Jesus is pointing us toward the kingdom of heaven. There's some things that are going to get in the way that your yes to Jesus says, you're going to have to say no to that. And your yes to Jesus means that there's going to be a costly doing that. So what is the yes that will change your life? It's the yes to follow Jesus. You know, Paul explains it this way. Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Isn't that interesting? There's like a, I'm giving up some things about me, but Christ lives in me. And I'm going to take on this life of Christ in me to live through me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our yes to Jesus is to love all that God loves. Our yes to Jesus is to hate all that God hates. Our yes to Jesus is to be an active participant in this kingdom of heaven right here in the kingdom of earth. Well, in closing... Around church, you often hear this word, amen, said at the end of things. Amen. Thank you. And it's not just like a handy way to close things down or just to punctuate. When we pray and say amen, or when we sing a hymn and say amen, or when we read a scripture and someone says amen, that's a way of marking that thing. And this amen goes way back in the history of Israel's corporate worship of God. Amen is linked to this word in Hebrew for truth. So it's interesting, in their corporate worship, when someone would say a prayer, and at the end, they would say, amen. Together, they would say, that is true, or yes, that is true. So amen is an acknowledgement of the truth of what was just said, and it's an affirmation that those there just heard heard that they just took it in they heard it and they are agreeing that it's true so literally when we say amen at the end of a prayer or scripture reading we are saying yes we're saying yes may it be so we are affirming our belief in god we're acknowledging that god who has made these promises will keep his promises we are agreeing that we will take action as citizens of the kingdom of heaven So when we say amen, we're saying yes, may it be so. And we are affirming once again all that is true about God, true about us as citizens of God's kingdom. We're saying yes to our belief in God. Well, this morning as we come to the communion table, I invite you to use this as a time to consider your yes. You know, what burden of proof do you have in your yes? that you are saying yes to Jesus and following him and as a result you are loving what he loves and you're hating what he hates. That when you need to be indignant you are rising up with indignant. And when you have compassion in front of you because of Jesus compelling you there that you are saying yes to compassion. What is your yes and how do you carry that with you this week ahead? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You're good to shepherd us and bring us along in your ways to teach us about the kingdom of heaven while we are right here on earth. And God, as we stumble and bumble through this so many times, I pray that we would continually look to you with our yes, that we'd look to you for your grace to help us say yes and to follow through with whatever action you're calling us to. God, I pray that you would gird us up in our yes and that we'd be confident in you. And from that confidence, we'll also be able to say no. We'll also be able to resist. We'll also be able to step away. Jesus, I pray for your grace that when we need to be indignant and rise up in our yes to oppose something that is not right in this kingdom of earth ways, that you'd give us that strength and courage to do so. God, we need you. We depend on you. And we love you and are grateful to be connected to you. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.